Advent is a, is a season of celebrating. Uh, but in order to celebrate, uh, you have to understand uh, the value of something. You can't celebrate something you don't understand the value. And to understand the value means you have to take the time uh, to contemplate, which is, can be difficult for us. We don't always take the time. And my hope in this season is that, is that you would take the time, that we would take the time uh, together, not just in the few moments that we have together here on Sunday, but uh, really throughout the week and every day. It's one of the big reasons why we provided you with those resources, uh, videos, and then there's the packet that you can find on our website um, where you can buy yourself with a, some friends or your family, or you know, like, like I, I do this with our kids, and just to, to contemplate the value of Jesus, to contemplate the value of what he's done for us, and then to celebrate that. Uh, to celebrate that. So I hope that you would take that time to do that. And, and Advent points to uh, the coming of Jesus. It points to both coming. It points to the first coming of Jesus. So we, we in this season, we're, we're, we're contemplating what, what Christ has done uh, in coming to this earth. But that's simply meant to fuel our faith and to fill us up with hope for the second coming of Jesus, where he comes and he will put an end to our pain and suffering. He'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no death no disease. It'll be a restoring to the way things that were always meant to be. And that's why this first week of Advent is about restoration. And the verse was read to us early, but I would love for us just to read the verse again on our own. Just, you don't, we don't need to say it out loud, but if we, it's on the screen. If you just read that here for a moment, then I'll get into the talk today. What is restoration? Restoration is a word that means to turn back. So the psalmist, in asking God for restoration, he's saying, will you return things to the way they used to be, to its original purpose? And if you were to go to my house and everything had tags on it, you would, be, you would think you were walking through a well-organized thrift store uh, because everything in our house is from a thrift store. Uh, those are the nice things, actually, from the thrift store. Uh, my wife is a genius about taking old things that people would normally discard and presenting them in such a way that's actual. this stuff is nice. In fact, a couple of things that we have in our house, um, one of the things that we have, in fact, one of our favorite chairs, we were on our way to the hospital to see one of you in the hospital, and um, we, see a, we see a chair on the side of the highway. And so my wife's like, I want that one. And so we stop. And we pick it up. I said, freeze sounds about right. And so we pick it up. We put it into our, our van and we take it home. And now it's one of our favorite pieces of furniture. And if we were visiting you, we're sorry we're late. Uh, but it was a good cause. And, um, and then uh, another chair that we have, we're, we're out on a date. We're, we're out like on Grand at a restaurant. And I was turning around near Russell and Grand in an alley. And we go down this alley and there's another chair. And on our date, Rachel says, stop. So I stopped. We picked up another chair. And that's another chair you'll find in our house. And so, like I said, the ones from the thrift store are the nice ones. And so we, uh, but she loves, she has this, she has this knack for, for taking things that were discarded and, and cast to the side and bringing them back to the original purpose. We've done that with plate rooms in our house. One of our least favorite rooms are, this, this was soap, and this doesn't even begin to show you how pink this room was. And we restored it to uh, a much 
more a, a better purpose. It's the way it was meant to be. Wouldn't even couldn't even use it before. It had this like four by four submerged, you know, kind of weird looking tub, and it was anyway. So we 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 restored this. We fixed this, and so. Uh, that's what it's talking about in restoring. It's like take things that people have discarded and would have cast to the side and bring them back to their original purpose. And it's worth noting that the psalmist, when it says, I want you to restore, it doesn't say I want you to restore my surroundings. I want you to restore the earth to restore the circumstance. But notice that he says, I want you to restore us. That the writer understands that what really needs to change are not my circumstances, but me. I need to change. And for some reason, though, that you and I, we get caught up in this really, it's really easy for us to do, that we think that our circumstance or the the pain that we get from our circumstances are somehow independent of of our character and wisdom with which we approach life. So my job is hard because my boss is a jerk. It isn't me. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm perfect in every way. There's something outside of me that's causing this problem. So my boss is a jerk. That's why it is. You know, our finances are struggling because we just don't make enough money. Or my marriage is struggling because my, my spouse doesn't really understand me. Or school's really hard because teachers are impossible. Or I'm lonely because I'm not married. So some external thing, something outside of me is causing my situation to be what it shouldn't be. But the reality of life, the reality of life is that the pain that we experience from our circumstances are rarely independent of our character. They're rarely independent of our character. If you're struggling financially, maybe it's maybe just maybe it's not because you don't make enough. Maybe it's because you're not handling what you have very well, and you're not, and you kind of chafe at the idea of being accountable with a spouse or a trusted friend because nobody tells you what to do with your finances. There's something in your heart that needs to be restored or maybe your marriage isn't going well and it may be true that your spouse is not as loving as understanding as that they need to be but maybe you're walking with some unforgiveness and maybe that's causing it or maybe it's not your boss is the reason why your job is so hard but maybe there's some laziness and some entitlement and that's carrying through in your attitude it's bleeding through into your work performance there's something inside that needs to be restored And here's the point. Life is going to get difficult. Life is difficult. And our first prayer should not be for our circumstances to change. That would be like saying, God, you know, I'm good, I'm perfect, everything right, everything's perfect with me. It's it's just outside me. No, our first thing needs to be, God, restore me. And this is what the psalmist does. He says, I'm the mess. I'm the one who needs help. Why do we need help? Why do we need this restoration? Well, simply put is because we've gotten off track from our intended purpose. We've been made for a purpose, and we don't live for that purpose. This is what, how it's uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, this may be the first time you've ever heard this, but every human being, I hope every human being that's ever existed, they all exist. Here's the purpose of every human being. To give glory to God. To give glory means to give weight, to give significance, to, you know, like, the reflect, like this is the reason, this is the purpose. And it's the creator who determines the purpose. The creation, the created thing doesn't determine the purpose, the creator. Now, so we, we don't determine our purpose. We can discover it, but we can never determine it. I love what the prophet Isaiah 
Um, God says through the prophet Isaiah, who asked rhetorically in chapter 45, does the clay look back at the potter and says, what are you molding? Does not the potter have the right to mold what he wants? Or here's something funny. Does the child say to his mother in labor, who are you birthing? God says, I am the Lord who stretched out the heavens and made the sea and the earth, and I made you. And he made us for a purpose. And that purpose is his. And as a whole, humanity has stepped in the opposite direction of that purpose. And instead of glorifying God, we've sought to glorify other things and bring that inward. This is what the Bible calls sin. The word sin is a hunting word, which means to miss the mark. And it's not like we missed it by a hair. Like, oh man, we were so close. Like, I mean, we just, I mean, just one more chance and we're going to nail, no, we, we shot the arrow in the other direction. Like we were, in fact, this is how Paul says it in Ephesians 2.10. He says, this is what sin is. Sin, we were dead in our sin. We shouldn't have a few bad habits that needed to be fixed. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. John Piper, uh, commenting on this passage, says it this way. He says that we were not in the doghouse with God, needing to be forgiven of a few offenses. We were in the morgue. We were dead in sin. And this led, what it says in verse 2, it says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Now, you probably don't think about this on your daily routine. You don't think about following Satan. You just think you're holding a grudge. But you're following Satan. You think you're just letting off some steam, but you're unwittingly submitting yourself to demonic leadership. Do you know that? And then it says, among whom we all once lived. So this is the way we all were at one time. Living according to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now, if you think that's bad, check out the rest. It says, we were by nature children of wrath, which means disobedience was a part of our spiritual DNA. It wasn't just that we sinned, it was our nature to do so. And, and religious people get confused here because religious people say, well, I need to be a better person. But the key to spiritual life isn't to stop sinning. The key to spiritual life is to stop being dead. Well, how does that work? Well, here's the good news. The good news is according to verse 5, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses in sin, he made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. God made us alive. He saved us. Well, what did he save us from? Did he save us from sin? Well, yes. Did he save us from the devil? Yes. But more to the point, We've been saved from ourselves. We've been saved from putting ourselves at the center of everything. And that, brothers and sisters, is what needs to be restored. And there is a past tense to this. There is a present tense to this. And there is a future tense to this. And what I mean by that, there's something, there's a part of, there's, when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to how God wants to redeem us and restore us, There's a past version where he has saved us from the penalty of our sin. What that means is that um, that for for all the sin that we've committed, all the times that we have not made, we've not sought to glorify God in everything that we do, we are saved from the penalty of that. We will never, ever experience the wrath of God towards sin. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
There's a past, but there's also this present sin. There's, we need to be saved from the power of sin. Because if you and I were honest, we still feel this pull toward doing things for ourselves. We still want to bring the attention to us. We still want to reject what God wants, and we want to do what we want, what, our, what the, Bible call, the Bible word for that is flesh, what our flesh wants. So we need to be restored. And then one day we will be restored. One day we will see him and we will be like him in an instant. And that's when we will be moved not just from the penalty of sin or the power of sin, but from the presence of sin. And a big part of this restoration process that God is doing in you, so if this is something that you're interested in, like, yeah, I want, I want God to keep restoring in me and, and changing me, a big part of that is you understanding that you have been transformed and anointed to be an agent of that restoration. See, Ephesians, the, the verses that we read, they talk about something that we've been saved from. And what we've been saved from is this desire, this constant desire to make it about us, to bring glory to ourselves. But we've also been saved to something. We've been saved to the good works that he's put before us. It says that in Ephesians 2.10, that we are his masterpiece, that we have been uniquely created, uniquely designed from all different parts of the world in all different times to do a specific thing that brings glory to him. So every day there's, there's this choice that we can make. We can make this choice to bring glory to ourselves, which is sin, or we can walk in these good works that bring glory to God about being this agent of restoration. So for you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's restorative work, for you in this Advent season to declare what the psalmist says in Psalm 80, Restore in me, save us. For us, for that to happen in your life is for you to cooperate with you becoming this agent of restoration, which is absolutely amazing that we've been invited into this. One of the most freest pieces of, of revelation that you can receive is this idea that life is not about you. If you want to walk in, in true, authentic freedom, it's that moment when you realize, hey, this isn't about me. But every time, every, when you, if you get caught up in this cycle that I've got to make much of me, there's, that I am the end, um, I'm not just a means to the end, but I am the end, um, it's, one of the most, it's one of the most freeing moments of your life to actually begin to serve a greater purpose. You see, the story of God ended with this. It, ended, it started with, excuse me, it started with this. It started with creation. That God created everything perfectly. And this is what the psalmist is wanting us to God to restore, that everything was made as it was in perfect harmony. Uh, it was the apex of human existence, and everything, every created being, every, the humans, the, everything gave God glory and was display of his glory. That lasted for an unspecified amount of time. We don't know. It was two chapters in our Bible, but we don't know how long it was. In chapter 3, sin entered the world, uh, sin entered the human equation, and it breaks that rhythm, breaks that harmony. And since everything's spiraling out of control, the soul that was once full is now fractured. Creation that was once synergistic is now full of turmoil. There are earthquakes, there are tornadoes, there are monsoons, there are disease. The ground is now cursed, and so paying the bills is difficult. Relationship is all messed up, especially among those who don't uh, perfectly resemble our brilliance and glory. That's why there's racism that's why there's sexism, that's why there's unforgiveness, that's why there's bitterness, because there are people out there who aren't exactly like us. And when you live for your own glory, you automatically fall into those categories because you're looking to yourself 
Food that was meant to nourish has now glut, turned to gluttony. Wine that was meant to make the soul happy now becomes alcoholism. Sex that was meant for this powerful mingling of souls to foster intimacy and connection has become a mere physical act for self-gratification, which is why abuse is so rampant. I mean, we're hearing about it all the time now. Well, what's going on there? Well, the heart is, as Martin Luther said, curved in on itself. It will find a way to make it about itself. And that's why people can abuse. Because it's not about the other person, it's about themselves. So you have creation, then you have what's known as the fall. And it's in this pain and brokenness that the psalmist cries out for restoration and for salvation. And that prayer was answered in Jesus Christ. God intervenes in the middle of our broken, spiraling, out-of-control universe. And he sent himself in the flesh to die in our place for our redemption. So you have God's perfect creation. You have uh, fall, which where sin came in the equation. And then you have redemption. And it's in my experience that that's where most Christians stop. And what I mean by that is that they see the narrative of creation, they see the narrative of sin, and they see the narrative of their own personal redemption and salvation, and that's where the story ends for them. And now they wait around for heaven to come. But God has another part to the plot, and it's your restoration, your ongoing restoration, and you becoming an agent of a restoration for this broken world. And the problem with you, us making it about us, one is the Bible, uh, but it's not just the Bible, that we all live with this gnawing sense on our soul that there's got to be more to this, that, I, that, that I, I have to have this purpose. And purpose, I would say, is probably one of the most misunderstood ideas that exists because when most people think of purpose, they put this word, my, in front of it, which actually is a contradiction of what purpose is. For something to have purpose means, by definition, that it's a means to an end. So shovels dig holes. Lawnmowers cut grass. Blankets keep people warm. Anything that has purpose is always a means to an end. And the reason why most people don't live with a sense of purpose is because most of us are not willing to be a means to the end. We want to be the end. We want other things to be a means to our end. And so we, we want a job to be a means to our end. We want a relationship to be a means to our end. We want all these things to be a means. We want God to be a means to our end. I've asked God to do this. He said no. So what good is God? He's a means to my end. So most of us don't live with purpose. We don't even understand what purpose is. Purpose means that um, that you are a means to end, not an end to itself. The only thing asking the question, what is my purpose? The only where that will get you will get you back to yourself. The purpose of a hammer is to drive nail, but, uh, but it does so at the pleasure of the one swinging the hammer and not the hammer itself. For a hammer to live out its purpose, not that it has a choice, but it has to become a tool in the hands of the one who purchased it. And for you to have purpose, it's not going to be found in a job. It's not going to be found in a relationship. It's not going to be found in some level of success. Purpose for you is going to be found when you submit to being a tool or an instrument in the hand of the one who bought you, who purchased you, who redeemed you with his own precious blood. You are a means to the end. And the the more that you realize this, the freer you'll be, the more that you understand why you exist 
that you have been redeemed to be a part of seeing this restoration happen to the rest of the world. This is God's plan from the beginning. When God gathered Abraham in Genesis 12, he says, I will bless, I will heal, I will save, I will impart, but I will do this so that you would be an agent of redemption. This is what he says in Genesis 12 too. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Well, that sounds exciting. So that you would be a blessing. In blessing you and saving you and calling you, I want to push back what went horrifically wrong in the fall. So even to this day, you and I, saved, healed, called, chosen, made whole. Not so this wholeness would terminate on us, but that we would become a cul-de-sac to God's blessing, but it would flow through us to other people. So it would pour out into this dark and hurting world. Even So Paul would even say things like in Romans, where he says that we have been comforted so that we can comfort others. We have been blessed so that we can bless others. And here's the thing, the church has always struggled with this. Like she forgets so easily. And God, who's this great, great, great husband, always is coming to his bride, reminding her of why she exists. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel 16, um, the prophet there referenced uh, these two cities um, that God destroys. Um, you know, back in the 80s, churches and VBS programs would scare little kids with this story. And uh, like every time like my mom put like a, a, a salt on the middle of the t- I like I would start shaking visibly just because I was scared. Like, my gosh, what's going to happen? And um, it's a little Bible joke for you. And so we, um, because if you don't know that story, if you hear about the story, they, they, God says, leave Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to destroy them. And so they take off and they run. She turns back. She becomes a pillar of salt. He just, see ya, keeps going. And God destroys these two cities. Now, most of us, if we are familiar with that story, we feel like God, or we think that God, or we've been taught that God did that because of sexual deviance. And that's just a small part of it. But here's the truth of the story. This is what he says, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease but did not aid the poor and the needy. Here's what, here's, this is what God is saying. Here's my big beef with Sodom and Gomorrah. They made my blessing to them about them. And they did not become an agent of restoration in this hurting and broken world. They forgot about the poor. They forgot about the needy. They just made all this blessing about them. And people were like, well, this is, you know, this is my lot in life. Am I not just you know, operating under the, the deck I was dealt? God says, no, I blessed you with wealth and food and harmony and safety. So you, not so that it could terminate on you, that you could be an agent of restoration in this world. He says something very similar in Isaiah 1. He comes to them and he says, he, he says hear, the wor- hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Which, just again, so- if, you're not, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah is like the ultimate example of like what you don't want to be like. So every time God like refers to you as Sodom or Gomorrah, it's not like, hey, Bobby, how's it going? Or like, you know, Merry Christmas. I'm going to give you a little greeting. This is like, I'm going to say some things to you because I'm not happy with you. Everyone knows that God destroyed them. He's not happy with them. And he comes to them and says, why are you making everything about you? I blessed you and you're just coming, you're coming to these services. You're 
doing all, going through the motions, but you're not really doing what I asked you to do. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, and learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. God is basically saying, you are making this about you. You're taking my blessing, my redemption, you're taking my uh, my favor and the healing I brought to you, and you're allowing it to stop with you. You're thinking that you're the end, but you are the means to the end. You are my agents of restoration. So what do we do? How do we handle this? Well, it's not an easy answer. Uh, I mean, on the surface, it's like, well, we need to do good. We need to, you know, do what the Bible says. We need to learn to do good. We need to go do a bunch of social good, and that's it, that's certainly a part of it, but it falls short in and of itself. Because the issue in the garden wasn't that they weren't serving the poor or, you know, they weren't doing social good. The core issue is that they didn't want to be a means to the end. They wanted to be an end in and of itself. So they believed the lie of the enemy that says, you don't have to take God's orders. You can be like God. You don't have to be a means to the end. You can be an end. And they believe that. And that sin, that desire to make life about me and not what it's intended to do, which is to give God glory, that is what's created all the mess that we... Anything that you would label wrong about this world, that's where it all comes from. It all comes from this desire not to bring God glory, but to make, my, make it about myself. Not to be a means to the end, but to be an end. So the key is for us to stop doing that. The, the core issue is for us to learn to die to ourselves. To do as Jesus said, which is to pick up your cross daily and follow him. Jesus said this, says, unless a kernel of wheat is willing to fall to the ground and die, it will not bear fruit. It, it just doesn't understand its purpose. Its purpose is a means to an end. A seed has a, is a means to an end. A seed is meant to be a harvest. It's meant to be fruit. But if it doesn't, isn't willing to die, if it isn't willing to fall to the ground and die, it dies unfruitful. But if it, if it does, it will produce a harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. And then almost instinctively will be kinds of the people who are willing to humbly fight sin in our lives, to walk in loving community with others where we serve each other, where we do serve the poor, where we do stand up for racial equality, where we do plead the widow's cause and bring justice to the fatherless. And I know us, you know, we, we want like flashes, we want, we want like noise and, you know, we want God to shake things up and we want the externals to change. When we cry for the world to change, we want God to come in like a boulder and just smash the ground, and make everything, you know, overnight better. But what God does, God comes in. The person who rightly understands how God works in this world says, restore me. Not my circumstances. Restore me. See, the disciples at the end of, so Jesus had died, he had risen, and he's getting ready to descend into heaven. And the disciples still didn't get it. Just like you and I, we still didn't get it. They said, now are you going to conquer the Romans? Now are you going to conquer these external forces who are making life hell for us? And Jesus says, I'm not going to conquer them. I'm going to conquer you. I'm going to conquer your heart. 
And when I conquer your heart, you're going to become the kinds of people who learn to lay down your life for each other. And this love that breeds through you is going to catch like wildfire. People are going to see that you're truly mine, how you lay down your life for me and how you lay down your life for others, how you're willing to die, how you're willing to give away your possessions, how you're willing to serve. The cry for restoration in this world, we don't have to look any further than our own heart. God, what is broken? I know the world is broken, but that brokenness stems in part from my own brokenness, from my own desire to bring glory. The things that we see are just symptoms. They're not the cause. The cause is you and I wanting to be an end to ourself instead of being a means to the end. See, God comes in. He explained the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God isn't like a boulder that comes and smashes the ground. The kingdom of God is like a seed that comes and transforms the ground. It comes in very subtly and it gets buried on the ground and it looks like nothing's going on, but underneath the surface, I'm working. The gospel is working in your heart. It's doing things. It's transforming and all of a sudden, trees begin to pop up all over the place. And God says one day this this tree will become a place where everyone rests and gets shade and comfort. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to the earth, this earth, and he, he himself, he did not come as a conquering king. He did, not come as a, he, he did not come as a conquering king. He came as a suffering servant. He didn't come to change the law of the land to appease the conservatives. He didn't come to this world to set up a bunch of social programs through the light of liberals. He came to be a means to an end. If there's anyone who could have said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up, I'm going to bring cause down a legion of angels. This is going to be about me. It could have been Jesus, but he didn't do that. He said, not my will, but the Father's. And he became a means to the end. And because he was willing to die, there are billions of people all throughout time and even today who celebrate his name during this season, who get shade from him, who get salvation from him. And that's what he wants out of Christians and that's what he wants out of local churches. He wants us to, be, to die to ourselves, to be planted in the ground, to know that there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue in our hearts, that we want glory, that we want to be the end, end to an end of itself and not a means to end. But when we come to him and say, God, restore in me, do something in me, he changes us, he conquers us, and through us, then we, it permeates every point of our life. And that's really what we're, it's a big idea of what we're trying to do at Jubilee Church and all of our services and our community groups and trying to do J-Kids well and, and, and uh, serving other communities. What's driving that is our desire to see people restored. And nothing that we do works unless we die to ourselves. Like, I don't know what your community group is like, but it is probably a bad, terrible place to be if everybody in that group is looking at how does this affect me? If everybody's in that group is looking at, I want to be the, I want to be the end. I want to be, I don't want to be a means to the end. I want to be the end. This is for me. This group is for me. This church is for me. The, everything that I do is for me. If that's the dynamic of that group, that group's not going to work very well. Community groups only work when people come in and say, I'm here for others. Our serving, what we do for the poor, all these kinds of things. Because if it's, it's about you, if it's about what you get out of it, 
Try and see how that works. A few of us may be able to white knuckle it through the pain, but after a few months, we're like, why am I doing this? This doesn't build me up. Well, it's not meant to build you up. We're not the end. We're a means to the end. And we'll only long-term sustain that kind of dynamic in our groups, in our serving, in our, the way that we bless the community if that gospel is alive in our hearts. Then I'm willing to die to myself. I'm willing to die to my own purpose to be an agent of restoration. And this is kind of what we were, this is what the next initiative is all about. For those who are with us in the, in the winter, in the spring, a couple things happened. One is that we came across our 20th anniversary. And one of the things that we discovered is that what we said is that 20 years is both a point of celebration and a point of warning. The average church begins to plateau at 15. It begins to die at 25, and it is dead at 40. And the reason for that, in the beginning of every church, there's this excitement and enthusiasm about how we can bless the community. That we, we, the church has a purpose, and it's to bring restoration to the neighborhoods and, and the city that it surrounds. And it lives in that place. That's why... of everyone who became a Christian became a Christian in the church younger than two years last year. Because it starts off with this idea that we're here for a hurting and broken world. And then all of a sudden it gets a building and it gets staff and it gets committees. And all of a sudden it becomes about, well, I don't know that I like those chairs. I don't know if that's the kind of worship style that I like. I like style, I like it like this, I like it like that. And all of a sudden it becomes about us. And when the church lives for that, it plateaus. And dec- so we like, we can't fall into that. So God, what would you have us do? And when we went and prayed and asked God, he gave us some things to go for. And, it, and the moral of the story or the summary of that story is that we came up with the next initiative to, um, and it was a $1.3 million response to purchase, expand, improve facilities so that more people can hear about uh, the gospel, uh, a big emphasis on children, and, and youth, uh, we create an adoption fund right now. Uh, we're helping three families adopt uh, children because of that fund. Um, we'll hear some more about specifics, specifics of that next week. Let me show you a few pictures because we did some stuff already with our facility. This is our facility in Washington, which I know um, looks amazing already. But we, we put some work into it, and we, this is what it looks like now. Isn't that amazing? better. But it's not, just the, it's not just on the outside, but there's some things on the inside. I mean, just like the kids' rooms did not have air conditioning, got really hot in there. I know that doesn't sound very exciting, but it, for the kids and the parents, it was. And um, some other things. We did some stuff here in the city location, which you could take a peek at. This is one of the kids' rooms, and now this is what it looks like now. There's two more kids' rooms that we can show. Here's one. Um, that's what it looks like now. And there's another one at Kids Room, and, and we put some new stuff in here. Uh, we also got a new music stand. I don't know. This needs to be restored. I don't know if you noticed this, but last week, Dylan destroyed it. I don't know if you noticed how he, he abuses this, this music stand. He, he thinks it's something he can lean on and mess with. So we spent some money on a music stand. Um, <laughs> But hey, if you, there's just practical things that you can do to, to help this. One is you can, you, you, if you never contributed anything to the next resort, and you hey, I want to be a part of not just giving regularly to the church, but I want to be a part of the extension process, uh, you can do that in this month, and I encourage you to do that this month. 
Uh, you can give to our benevolence fund. We use that fund to bless families in need um, in our community, but also the community outside of us. You can get involved in the Christmas store. There's many things you can do uh, in giving financially. You can be an agent of justice in your neighborhood, in your workplace, by first looking at your own heart, by saying, God, what are, where are the, where's the injustice in my heart? Where's racism in my heart? Where's there lust and thoughts of abuse in my heart? But then also to speak out where you see fit to speak out, knowing that God has made you to be an agent of restoration. But here's the really big thing, guys. Is there's tons, I mean, I'd love to just do tons of, uh, of talking just in all the things that we are doing to see restoration happen, that we could be doing a lot better. And I'd love to talk more about some things that we're not doing um, that I think we could do. Areas of, of ju- seeing justice happen and restoration happen, both spiritual, emotional, physical, the whole thing. But here's where the rubber hits the road for each and every one of us is do we want God to do that restoration work in our hearts? Because it's not going to happen out there if it doesn't happen in here. You can't legislate love. You can't legislate against evil. It will find a way. It will find a way. The only way to do with the evil in our hearts is to ask God to come in and to restore it. And maybe that's never happened to you before. You've never trusted in Jesus. You've never said, Jesus, I need you to come in. I'm a terrible leader of my life, and I need you to come in and lead my life. He will come in, and he will remove the penalty of sin, and he will give you the Holy Spirit to help you fight the power of sin in your life until he returns, where he will eventually remove the presence of sin. But Christian, are you in that fight? Are you in that fight? Are you choosing every day? I want to walk in a good way. I see myself not as an end, but a means to end to be an agent of restoration. It all starts in a heart.